Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Thank Him. Thank Him for that blood that He shed on Calvary. I thank You, Jesus. Lord, I know I'm unworthy for the price that You paid for me, but I am eternally grateful, Lord. I'm eternally grateful. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord. It's always a privilege. I count it a joy to come into the house of the Lord. Be mindful and prayerful of our pastor and first lady in their absence. And so that means you're stuck with me this morning. Amen. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 27. If you're a guest with us this morning, we say thank you from the very depth of our heart for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. It's certainly don't take it for granted. And uh, always welcome to this house. Matthew chapter 27, verse 36. I have wrestled with this for a night or two because this passage of Scripture is normally reserved for a, perhaps a Christmas message or an Easter message, but uh, when you truly look at the contents and what took place on the cross, it is beyond amazing what God would do for us. What God would do for us. And I'm so thankful today that he thought enough of me. Matthew 27, verse 36. A little bit of lengthy reading, but if you would bear with me, please. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, that thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and he will, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he, if he will, have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. And now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Eli's. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top of the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Father, I love you. I'm so eternally grateful for the privilege to be in this house. I'm thankful to 
have the honor together with this precious congregation. And I'm asking that your spirit and the Holy Ghost would rest upon us today, God. I'm asking for your anointing to rest upon me. Lord, I ask you to get in my mouth what you put on my heart and help us to understand how important it is that we know this word and trust this word and rely on this word. And we give you honor and praise and glory. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Thank you for standing. Turn to your neighbor and tell them something good today before you're seated. Praise the Lord. We see Calvary through a limited dimension, if you will. We, 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 we read the stories and we view pictures that particular artists have tried to paint. Um, through our eyes of flesh, and we try to understand it through uh, through our finite mind. And if the Lord will help me this morning, I want to uh, take a look at Calvary from another angle, if you will. If we could look at Calvary, uh, perhaps, not to be uh, disrespectful, but perhaps of where Jesus was at, where God himself was at, looking down, what was going on inside the mind of God. And if, if the Lord will help me, I'll do that, and we'll preach from this topic, a glimpse of from the cross. On crucifixion day, there were many powers that gathered at Calvary, many powerful and emotional entities that, that gathered there at that foot. The power of envy was there that day because the Bible said it was for envy that the Jews delivered Jesus to be crucified. The power of fear was there that day at the cross because the Bible said it was for fears, uh, for fear of the Jews that Pilate consented to the crucifixion. The power of self-righteousness was there to watch Jesus suspended between heaven and earth that day because the Bible says the Pharisees thought within themselves that they were righteous. The power of pride was there that day, which is such an incredibly hideous thing when it gets into the hearts of men and women because on that day they looked at Jesus and said, We know who our Father is. He's the we are the children of Abraham, but you're you we're not sure who you are. You could even be illegitimate. There is such an intenseness about pride. It was it was pride that made a devil out of an angel, and it is so important and so significant that the writer of Proverbs said in sixteen and eighteen that pride goes before destruction. Hear me today, if you don't hear nothing I say, there will be more people in hell because they refuse to come to an altar and repent. They refuse to yield to God. They refuse to come and pour their self out to God in front of people. There will be more people in hell because of pride than any other thing that's ever took place on this earth. The power of offense was at Calvary that day, but there were two powers. Two forces, if you will, that gathered on that hill that day that were greater than any of these that I have previously mentioned because they were born in the heart of God. Two most powerful forces of eternity came together at Calvary on this day with a head-on collision, if you will, that was so powerful, so cataclysmic, so enormous that the Bible said that the earth shook and the elements quaked. And when these two forces collided at Calvary, every other force, the power of fear, the power of envy, the power of self-righteousness, the power of pride, every other force had to bow down, if you will, or, or back away. They was unworthy to stand with the, the two magnificent forces that stood there that day. And those two forces that went to war, if you will, that day was God's hatred for sin. And the other force that battled with that is his love for humanity. Because it was at 
Calvary that the two most powerful forces in the universe, sin and His love for humanity, came together. They collided for the first time, and at Calvary the earth shook. So intense was the conflict because for the first time at Calvary, God's hatred of sin and His love for humanity came together. At the Old Testament altar, these two powers simply danced around one another, if you will. They sort of shadow box. There was no real remissions of sin in the Old Testament altar. It was just a deferral, and I say that respectfully, but it was a deferral or pushing ahead, if you will, until the next year. And you had to remember to come back the next year and, and bring that sacrifice so that your sins could be atoned again for another year. And I've got to believe as the children of Israel would leave that temple after they had given their sacrifice and as they left the temple, I've got to believe that at some point in their mind they had to look over their shoulder and wonder, are these sins really rolled away? Are they going to come back six months down the road to haunt me, to insinuate themselves back in my life? There was no real remission at Calvary. It was simply just a pushing back. In the Old Testament, the high priest who became as perfect as any man might could be took the blood behind the veil and there it was sprinkled on the mercy seat and there the fire of God would fall and the sins would be deferred for that year. But the pivot point in history with God's dealing with humanity was the cross. I don't want to take nothing today away from the day of Pentecost. I don't want to take nothing today away from the resurrection. They are very important. But the most magnificent, the most intense thing that's ever happened in this universe is the cross. Because it was at the cross where God finally dealt with the question of sin. It was at the cross that God decided He was going to do something about sin for good. It was at Calvary that these two most profound, these two most powerful entities in eternity came together Head on, And I would like to just take a, a few minutes here this morning to discuss these two. And I want to first look at God's hatred for sin. And we could simply sum it up like that. God hates sin. Proverbs 13 and 34, the wise man says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. To understand what that means and to understand how that affects you and I, the Bible says it is a reproach. And what that means for you and I today is the word is translated reproach. It comes from a Hebrew word which speaks favor or mercy, but with a negative prefix attached to it. Like you would take the word kind and put you in in front of it. It would be unkind or lovely and put you in and it would be unlovely or, or put un in front of gracious. It would be ungracious. What the Bible is saying is what sin does is it takes the favor and mercy of God and it negates it in our life. With sin in our life, you, you can't have the favor and the mercy of God. With sin in our life, you can't enjoy what Jesus said when He said, I've come to give life and give life more abundantly. You can't have abundant life with sin in our life. The only thing that has ever been able to insert itself between God and creation is sin. The devil can't do it. Demons can't do it. Hell can't do it. The only thing that gets between me and God is sin in my life. And that's why I've got to stay on guard to keep at, at bay and to keep it off. And, and this sin is not just between man and God. But it's between God and the earth itself. That's the reason we have drought and famine and thorns and thistles. It's because of sin. That's the reason we have heart disease and leprosy and high blood pressure and cancer. It's because of the sin that took place on that day in the garden with Adam and Eve. And on crucifixion day, God, God's hatred of this sin came steamrolling toward Calvary like a runaway freight train saying, I will not be put off any longer, but I've come today to finally answer the question and I demand payment. The Bible says that every transgression and disobedience receive a just recompense of the world. You know, there, there's nothing 
uh, there's nothing more frustrating, or, or let me use the word discouraging, when a friend or a family member will call you and there's been a tragedy or an accident. Someone perhaps has got in, a, in an automobile accident of, of no fault of their own or perhaps there's just something that's went wrong and you go to the home or you go to the hospital and you, and you pray and you try to bring words of encouragement and you try to uplift and, and they look at me in the eye and they say, Jerry, what kind of God would do this? And you try to come up with a logical explanation, something that might be comforting, but really what I want to do is I want to scream out, God didn't do this. God didn't cause this to happen. It was sin that negated the favor and the mercy of God. God never intended us to suffer like we do here on earth, but sin negates that favor and that mercy. Isaiah said God's hand is not short, that it can't save. His ear is not heavy, that it can't hear. He's got a long arm. David said if I made my bed in hell, he could reach there to get me. He's got a sensitive ear, and he can save us to the utmost. But he said our sins have hid his face from us and our iniquities has put put a, a wall between us. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul abounds on a verse of Scripture in verse 9 and 10. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm sorry this morning, I did not come to preach a negative gospel, but I've got a mandate to preach the truth. And the truth is the Old Testament is 80% negative. There's some things we cannot do and be saved. I know this. God is serious about this thing called sin. James said, For whosoever shall keep the law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. We've got to understand why sin is so grievous to God. Paul said in Romans, Through the breaking of the law or through sin we dishonor God. It's more than bringing reproach on my pastor when I sin. It's more than bringing reproach on this congregation that I'm a part of when I sin. It's more than bringing shame to my family or my wife when I sin. But it makes God look bad when we sin, when we are so-called representative of the body of Christ and people look to us as something that and hold us to a higher standard, standard and we let things transpire in our life that bring shame and reproach to God. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple? Everybody say, I am the temple. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now do not be confused there. The word ye is not me. It's not you or you or you. When Paul is addressing, he's saying ye, the church, it's a collective group. It's the whole body. We are the church. When we come together, we make this place the house of God. Um, this, take this in the context I'm saying it in. I know we've dedicated this place. This is a place of worship. But this ain't what makes the house of God. This is brick, sheetrock, lumber, and mortar. What makes this the house of God is what you see sitting around you today. We are the house of God. It's the Holy Ghost in us that brings the power of God with us. The word defile is a Greek word which means to corrupt or pollute. And the word that's translated destroy in that verse is the same Greek word that's translated Defile. It's just the superlative tense. In other words, they mean the two, destroy and defile mean the two same things, but defile is greater. And what I mean by that is if you take a word and add EST to it, hot is the hottest. 
uh, high is the highest. That's, that's the most it can go. That's the most it can do. And God is, God is saying here, nothing goes beyond this. This is the ultimate. And Paul says to us, he says, we gotta be careful and we need to understand that we are the temple. Of God. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if we allow sin to insert itself into our life, then we bring that into the house of God. And when we defile the house of God, God says, okay, if that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to live, if you don't want to fall before me and repent, I'm just going to let you go to the ultimate. I'm going to take my hand off. Have you ever wondered why the worst, the worst or wildest sinner in the neighborhood is a backslidden apostolic? We laugh. And I say this shamefully, but I know what I'm talking about because when you've had the Holy Ghost, when you've been filled with the peace and the love of God and you walk away from that and you go to the world, I would try anything that come down the pike to try to get back to that because that's what I was after. And when God takes His favor and His mercy off of our life and we walk away from Him, woe be unto us because there's a never-ending road that we'll go down. It's important. It's important that we watch everything we do. How does this happen? God says, I'm going to lift my hand. Peter said, by way of sin, the truth is often evil spoken of. God's regard for sin is revealed in Genesis when the Bible says it repented God that he had ever made man. It grieved him in his heart. I I, I don't know everything, but I do know this much. When I stand before God, it's going to be without excuse and it's going to be valid. I'm not going to be able to blame my pastor. I'm not going to be able to point the finger at some of you. I'm not going to blame my family or my wife, but it's going to be me, God, and my life that I'm going to be judged for. And that's what I'll have to answer. And it's for that where I'll spend an eternity. And this frightens sometimes because sin can be so deceptive. Paul, this great apostle, he even said, sin deceived me. In Acts 28, in Acts 26, he said, I thought within myself to many things contrary to the name of Jesus. What he's saying there is I felt really good about some really bad stuff. And sometimes if we're not really careful, we can think good about sin. Pastor's trying to teach uh, doctrine and, and disciple and he's trying to teach the principles of God. And you say, well, well, what you're talking about, Pastor, doesn't really affect me. I feel no conviction or condemnation over what you're talking about. I, I, I never get goosebumps or I never feel, I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong. Well, let me tell you today, our heart does not dictate what sin does. This Word of God dictates what sin does. And if it's being preached from this pulpit and it comes from that Word, whether it convicts me or not, if I don't line up with the Word of God... I'm in disobedience to God Himself. 1 John 3 and 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And what, what's so scary is that sometimes we who have known the goodness of God and the grace of God, you know, I, I've, I've seen people walk away from church and, and you be in conversation with them and I said, just... Just think about this. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. And I, I know the decision you're about to make because I've made that too. And I'm telling you, you're making a big mistake. Let's think about this. And they said, well, Jerry, you don't understand. I, I've, I've, I ain't been going to church for several weeks now. And I, I, I still got joy in my heart. I, I still feel peace. Uh, everything feels okay. And I haven't been to the house of God. And, and I don't know when. Everything is just fine in my life. But what they don't understand... What you don't understand when you find that yourself in that place, it's kind of like, kind of like the prodigal son when he left his father's house. He had he had this bag full of money, and as he walked away, the Bible doesn't isn't clear about whether it took a week or year or years for him to go through his inheritance. 
But he walks away from, from his father's house and he's reaching into this bag and he's taken. And he's taken. And he never realizes that because he left his father's house, nothing is getting put back in this bag. So let me tell you today, I'll be completely honest. If you walk out those doors this afternoon and say, I'm never coming back. You're probably going to leave with some joy. You're probably going to leave with some peace. You're probably going to leave with some contentment in your heart. But I promise you, as you continue to reach in that bag and pull that out, and you don't come back to the Father's house to get it refilled, it's going to run out. And when you find yourself that day, you'll be full of destitute and full of sin. We've got a responsibility to guard against sin. The writer said in Hebrews that sin can harden the heart. Numbers 32 and 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Now when we read that, we first have the inclination that that means if I do something wrong, somebody might see it. But that's not what it is talking about there. What, what it's talking about there is the phrase find out translated comes from a Hebrew word which means to grasp or take hold. And what the writer is saying is we got to be careful because sin is so strong. You might do just one little thing that you think nobody won't see or that you might get by with, but when you make that one fatal mistake, sin takes hold and it takes a grasp. And you may wake up one day and say, well, I'm tired of sin, but sin may rear back up and say, well, I'm not tired of you and I'm not finished with you yet. And before you know it, without even, without even knowing what you're doing, sin is God in your life. It's controlling you. You're doing things that you, you never would imagine you're doing. And we've got to speak up against sin. You know, Brother Rayleigh touched on this last Sunday and gave some wonderful insight uh, about Adam and Eve in the garden, about their their nakedness, and he spoke of the, the light of God that clothed them. And if respectfully, if I may go one step further, could it have been the favor and the mercy of God was clothing them also? And when they sinned, God lifted that favor and that mercy. Ezekiel said, The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. We can't allow one little sin to insert itself into our life or it will take over. It will consume us. It will devour us. It will eat us up. I read a story sometime back, and I think I even shared this story at the prison the other night, Brother Donnie, but... Uh, there was a Haitian pastor in the country of Haiti, and he was using this uh, not not to pour gas on the fire on the family situation, but he was using this as an example in his sermon illustration. A particular family in his church wanted to purchase a home, and the home there was uh, it was two thousand dollars for this home that they wanted, but it was beyond their means. They they just couldn't afford it, but it was their dream. It was what they wanted. And as time went by, the seller said, "Well, I'll make an agreement with you. I'll sell you the home for half price if I can retain ownership of a single nail that hung over the door. You take the house, and I take the nail. The nail will always be mine." So the family. Thought immediately, what a deal. They take the house. Well, as time goes by, the original seller comes back. He says, I want to buy my house back. And they say, no, we're not interested in selling. This is our dream home. This is what we've worked for our whole life. We're not giving this up. The original seller departs and he goes and he finds a dead dog carcass. And he hangs it on that nail. And as you can imagine, as time goes by, the stench is unbearable and the family is forced to leave that home. Ladies and gentlemen, if we leave one nail, 
one nail in our life, the devil will come back with something so stinking and so rotten that we won't be able to bear it. We've got to be very, very careful. If I go out here this morning and, and go to a lotchway and get on I-75, and I stay on 75 and travel south and fly on by Gainesville and, and uh, Ocala, and I go on past Tampa, go on down and cross over Alligator Alley, I'm eventually, I'm eventually, if I don't get off somewhere, going to end up in North Miami. Not because I wanted to go there. Not because somebody sent me there. But that's just where that road goes. And if you climb on the road of hell and you continue to stay on it and you don't get off the detours or you don't get off the exits where God has provided and you continue, you're just going to end up in hell. It won't be because God sent you there. It gives us every opportunity to climb off this road of destruction and get on the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And eternal life is a gift. And on crucifixion day, God's hatred of sin came screaming towards the cross, demanding payment. And He said, I refuse to be put off any longer. And if that had been the greatest power, if if God's hatred for sin would have been the greatest power in all of eternity then we couldn't stand with our praise team and sing, He thought I was worth saving because something greater, something greater than His hatred of sin was His love for humanity. He loved us so much. You see, the only power greater than the hatred of sin. Hanging there on that tree looking down came the greatest power that has ever been or ever will be and that's God's love for humanity. He loves you and I for God so loved the world. Oh, what depth and feeling is compassed in that phrase that God so loved. The psalmist said, What is man? Thou art mindful of him. The word mindful there means to be continual on the mind, and we are always, always on His mind. Even when I was dragging the grace and the mercy of God through the mud and the mire, I was on His mind. He never forgets me. He's always thinking about me. Of all He could be doing, of all He could be doing right now, He's thinking about Jerry. He's thinking about Junior. We're on the mind of God. John said, What manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us? that we should be called the sons of God. That beautiful, sweet, kind spirit of the Holy Ghost that we felt this morning as they begin to sing, I see a crimson stream of blood. That spirit that swept over my soul, I don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. It's the favor and the mercy of God. We have to get this in a, in a picture in our mind. We know that And John, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and and we know that the Word became flesh. He ungodded himself. He came off the throne, put on flesh, humbled himself, became a servant, became obedient to death. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of hurrying through the reading of Genesis, through the creation, when he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars and and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And then we come to the part where kneeling in the garden to to fashion man. And here of late I've been trying to do something that may write me off as a little delirious. But when I read chapter 2 and verse 7, it tells me that God formed man out of the dust. And when I read that, I can't help... 
not to be disrespectful to the Word of God, but I can't help but to subtract the word man. And I like to put my name there. And I read back over that verse and I say, God formed Jerry out of the dust. And I see God. I see Him as He's there forming that image. And He's got this lump of clay. And my, the Word of God tells me that I serve a God that knows the end from the beginning. Jeremiah said He knew me before I was formed. And when I think about that and I take it into context and I see God making me, if He knows the end from the beginning, He sees a young boy that would serve Him, that would worship Him, that would be filled with the Holy Ghost, that would be called to preach this gospel. And He sees that same young man walk away. Why didn't He just quit? But He loves us so much. He loves us so much. He said, I know He's going to make a mistake. But I'm going to breathe life. I'm going to breathe life. He loves us so much. He had nothing to gain but my life. That's when I stand in the house of God and I say, I love you, Jesus. That's not theologically correct. What I should be saying is I love you too. Because He's already loved me long before I could ever love Him. If we could understand how these two powers must have been surging inside of Him then we could understand how at one moment he could walk into the temple with a whip, lightning flashing from his eyes, thunder rolling off his voice, chasing the money changers out, angry. And a few verses later we find him with a woman who had been convicted of adultery and he stands and says, where are your accusers? He says, go and sin no more. We could see a God that was rebuking Peter when he said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And then just a few minutes later, he reaches down so gently and picks up the ear of Malchus and puts it on. I'm talking about a God who loves unconditionally. But as as the day grew closer, his course became more apparent. And this is where I'm trying to get to, if you'll just stay with me a few more minutes. It's almost impossible to imagine how these powers warred inside of Jesus Christ. No wonder he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I stand here today in the righteousness of God, not because I'm good, but by a sovereign act and a divine power of the Holy Ghost. He made me this way. But the only way He could make me righteous was that He was made sin. You know, sometimes we sing those songs about Him uh, bearing the burden or, or, or carrying the cross, and, and, and that's really not so. The Word says He was made sin, this ugliness. This ugliness that afflicts our society and our world. He was made that. The beautiful, lovely, innocent Jesus who knew no sin was made to be this. It wasn't a 185 pound man weighing on the cross that day. It was 6,000 years of ungodly, despicable vile. And no wonder he cried out, Why my God hath thou forsaken me? I can tell you this morning that Calvary was ugly. It was hideous, it was despicable, it was a disgusting place. The crown of thorns that was pressed upon his said, 
upon his head so brutally that it would rip and tear at the flesh around his skull, the stripes that had been flayed upon his back. Some historians give an account that he had been beaten so severely upon his back that there was open holes that you could see organs of the body of Jesus Christ. The author is very kind in his writings. And the artists of our days and days gone by are very kind. You see, when a picture of Jesus is, is crafted hanging on the cross, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful or, or be untasteful this morning, but I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture to etch a picture in your mind of how much He loves us. When Jesus hung on that cross, we see a picture with a loincloth. But I'm going to tell you that wasn't how it was. Jesus Christ hung naked before His own mother and His brothers in all below. You see a picture with a trickle of blood perhaps down his cheek, maybe a small trickle of blood out the side where the spear, but that, that's not so. Blood would have puddled up under that cross. And not just that, again, not to be distasteful this morning, but in that traumatic state that he was in, his bowels would have turned loose. Everything in his body would have run down. It would be around him. Him hanging there in shame. He was degraded and humiliated. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but Calvary was ugly. You ever wondered why God turned the sun off? Because this sight was too horrible for anybody to witness. The only ones that could witness it were heaven and hell. And as Jesus was made to be sin so that I could be made righteous, so that you could be made righteous, nothing to gain for Him but my life. What kind of price... Is that to pay to get this? He, he, he got the short end of the stick. He could have saved himself or he could have saved me. And I, I'm trying to be respectful this morning, but we can be so arrogant. The Spirit woos us and draws us and the Holy Ghost beckons us to come. You, you, you said last week about the, the motorcycle trick, him doing the flips and the crowd says, is that all you got? Well, sometimes I feel in my arrogance that that's how I am sitting there. When Jesus is performing miracles, changing lives, filling people with the Holy Ghost. And is that all you've got, God? He died for us. We can flop down and fold our arms and wait on something big, but he, He's done done the big thing if He does nothing else. He gave His life for me. We better understand. You better understand today. That no man comes unless the Spirit bids. Don't take for granted those chill bumps up and down your arms. Don't take for granted that funny feeling you get on the back of your neck. When the Holy Ghost moves on you, that's a privilege. It's a privilege and at any minute, at any minute, that could be pulled. Unless the Spirit draws. I, I won't mention any names and I may have this story a little distorted. My, my grandmother can correct me on this later. It was a lady in our family. She had a son, and I believe it was in that little white building. Come to the service, and they was having a powerful revival. And he stood on that back row, gripped to that pew, would not turn loose, and come submit his life to God. If I'm not mistaken, he lived in Jacksonville and on his way home that night, he got in an automobile accident and was taken out of this world into eternity. Don't you ever make the mistake 
of walking out of this place when God is, when God is calling, when God is beckoning. We never know when. We never know when we may not feel that again. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a close as our musicians come. We better understand that no man comes. And that's why David understood it so much when he said, I'm going to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. That's why David understood when they was bringing the heart from the house of Obed-Edom. He said, hold up boys, we're going to stop every six steps and I, I, I'm going to dance around this thing because this means the world to me and I don't want to take for granted what the Spirit of God represents in my life. On the last night with his disciples as he broke the bread and as he drank from the cup and washed their feet, when he came to Judas, he said, whatever, whatever you do, do it quickly. Because Jesus already had two powerful forces that was in him that was beginning to war. On one side was his hatred for sin and the other side was his love for humanity which was the greatest of these two. One side there is mercy and grace and the other side there is judgment and hell. God manifest in the flesh held the eternal destiny in the world in his hands. And he said, you know what I could do? I could call 10,000 angels to pull me off his cross and destroy this world. But hear me today. It ain't the fact that he could call 10,000 angels that made him God. It was the fact that he didn't. It was the fact that he didn't and paid the price. He was not God because of that. God's last call to the church. He said other things in Revelations, but in his last communication, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll come in and sup with me, I'll sup with you at Calvary. The veil was rent from top to bottom. Prior to this, only one man from each generation could go beyond that veil. Only one man could enter in the holiest of holies, and he had to be physically perfect. If he had a ward on his finger, he's not going in. If he had a scab or a sore, he's not going in. I'm so glad with all the scars and scratches and the disgusting things I've done in my life, Brother Donnie, that he didn't stop me at the door and say, Oh, you can't go there, Jerry. On that day, when that veil was rent, the high priest that had to go in, he wasn't perfect because they had beat him unmerciful. You ever pass by something in the road that has been run over and you can't make out what it is? Word of God said that his vision was marred. You couldn't even, his mother couldn't even recognize what he was hanging there. And it's for me. And it's for you. He would settle the sin question once and for all. Not with the blood of a goat or ram, but He would go behind the veil with His own blood, this this spotless lamb. But just before He goes beyond the veil, He would look over His shoulder. and He would see this male child. Before He 
passes through, Brother Allen, he turns and I see Jesus looking back and he, he sees in June of 1972 this child being born. He says, Jerry, I'm doing this for you. Do you want to go? Do you want to come here with me? And I feel the Spirit of the Holy Ghost this morning as we stand across this house. I feel God calling us in our spirits. I see this in every man in this room, Brother Everett, Brother Donnie, any Brother Toby and Brother Bob, anybody that that goes with us to these outreaches, to these behind these fences. And you see all sorts of religions and, and, and teachings. And what I've come to the conclusion is that all people are looking for is something that's real. The world is sick and tired of people being fake. Showing off everything you got on Sunday and then living to the wind on Monday. The world is sick of that. And I believe with all my heart that this church, I'm speaking specifically about Hatchman Apostolic. This is a beacon of light. This is a city on a hill. And people are looking at us in this last day. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be sure that everything we do, we we do it right. God forbid I stand before my Maker and because of some transgression that I've done, I've caused someone else their life. Because as my mother would say, I'm the only Bible that they ever may read. And when they see me doing it, well, Jerry was doing it, God. And I tell you what I believe. I believe God's going to hold me accountable for every soul that I come in contact with, whether positive or negative. If, if I've had a negative impact on someone's soul, I believe I'm going to have to answer for that on Judgment Day. And I believe that the Spirit of God is looking to us. And He's calling for us. And He's saying, will you be, will you be the church? He said, ye, will ye be the church that I've called? I don't, I don't know what the order is, Brother Tim, but I, I, I would be... I would be in disobedience to God if I didn't make these altars open right now. I know this is not the order of the service. And don't don't let the enemy, don't let the enemy confuse you and distort and tell a lie that this altar is a place of shame. Because God built these altars for us. These altars long before the today was made a place of refuge. He said, I'll be a strong tower. I'll be a, a rock and a refuge for you. He said, if you'll just come. He says, I stand at the door and knock. He said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Would you come sup with me? Would you come sup with me? Would you make an altar where you're standing and lift your hands toward heaven? God help us. We're just vessels of clay, Lord. We're this frail humanity.
that needs your hand, God, to guide us. I can't live without you, Lord. I can't make it on my own. And I want to represent this truth in this church. And I want to represent you, God, in a holy and righteous fashion. Help us today, Jesus. Help us today, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.